there's a very good chance you don't understand what the Bible means when it talks about gentleness. Too many people in the church have an immature definition that's been more influenced by the sinful world than the Holy Word. But God's people are required to be gentle, just like Jesus was gentle. Not understanding what that means could result in refusing to be gentle on one side or being a worthless pushover on the other side. Instead, we must celebrate God by exercising divine gentleness. The one true God of the universe has existed since eternity past in ultimate perfection. He spoke the cosmos into existence for his soul, honor, and glory. He moved heaven and earth to redeem mankind, even though we have nothing to offer him. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. He deserves our praise. I'm your host, A.M. Brucer, and this is the Celebration of God. Welcome to part four of our Gracious Life series. If you are just joining us, please make sure you start at the beginning of the series. In fact, it might be even good to listen to the short series we did on the grace of God just before starting this particular series. We can't know what our acts of grace are to look like until we understand the grace of God. Up until now, we've been looking at various character traits that must be present and active in the life of a believer if they are to truly be gracious people. We've looked at humility, kindness, and compassion, and today we're going to study the attribute of gentleness. But before we do that, will you please prayerfully considering giving to support the year-long celebration of God? This ministry was started as a discipleship tool for parents as part of Truth Love Parent, but it has grown into its own ministry as part of the Evermind Ministry family. You can click the link in the description or visit truthloveparent.com forward slash donate to learn more. And be sure to check out celebrationofgod.com to access today's episode notes, transcript, and grace resources. Now let's pull the curtain back on biblical gentleness. First, I'm going to assume that you've already listened to our previous episodes in the series. Building off that assumption, I hope you've learned how drastically the average Christian's vocabulary has been influenced by the popular use of words in our culture. And I hope you understand how that word usage is often very different from the scriptures. Allow me to use an example I haven't used yet to drive this point home. It is biblically accurate to say, let go and let God. But at the same time, it is biblically inaccurate to say, let go and let God. Well, how can both of those be true? This is a perfect example of the devil being in the details. If a statement or word can be understood, or misunderstood for this matter, in more than one way, then the statement is dangerous at best, and it requires specificity. If by let go and let God, you mean that God is sovereignly in control, and so I need to stop trying to control the situation and simply trust him, well, then you would be right. If, however, you mean that I should also stop doing the things that the Bible clearly says I should be doing, like counting the cost, being discerning, praying, being wise, obedient, righteous, etc., then no, you're wrong. And we've already seen that terms like love and kindness get us in trouble because they can be interpreted in so many different ways. Therefore, Christians need to demand biblical specificity, and that's what we want to accomplish today. Therefore, number one, gentleness is required to be gracious. In James 3.17, we read, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. As we learned in our Discipleship Spiral series, wisdom is the practical outworking of our biblical knowledge and understanding. Therefore, in order to live in a Christ-honoring way, we need to be pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. 
both mercy and gentleness are requirements of God to live a wise life. In addition, no one deserves gentleness. That means that to graciously treat someone in a way they don't deserve, we are going to have to be gentle. We also mustn't forget that as a disciple of Christ, we are to imitate Jesus, and he was perfectly and eternally gentle. Therefore, as with kindness and compassion, no Christ-honoring believer can dismiss the responsibility to be gentle. But I know that some of you are thinking, but Aaron, if Christians are nothing but doormats, the world is going to eat us for breakfast. And though I forgive your mixed metaphor, I want to point out that it's that kind of thinking that perfectly illustrates the point I was making before. Since when does being gentle mean that we're doormats? Since when does being gentle mean that we won't fight the good fight? Since when does biblical gentleness apply only to wimpy Marvin Milktoast? If you think that's what it means to be gentle, you not only don't understand what the word means, you don't understand who Jesus is. That's why, number two, gentleness is not weakness. It's true that the Hebrew word translated gentle in Proverbs 15.1 can refer to something that is weak or fragile. The verse reads, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. However, that's not the meaning of the Greek word translated gentle and gentleness. We're going to get into more detail about the definitions of those words, but I want to illustrate this point first. Two of the three words we're going to consider refer to being mild or meek. But what is meekness? What does the Bible mean when it refers to Jesus being mild? I love the phrase, meekness is not weakness. The third Merriam-Webster definition misses the mark for meek in that it says it is not violent or strong. But the first definition is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. That's actually a really fantastic definition. Enduring injury with patience and without resentment. How strong do you have to be to be injured by someone, physically or otherwise, and endure it patiently without becoming resentful? That is not an easy task for the faint of heart. In fact, as you look at our world today, you will see billions of people easily offended and very much not patient. They do not possess the fortitude necessary to bear that injury without completely breaking down. But Aaron, you say, isn't that exactly what we're talking about? That person is being a doormat. They're being hurt and injured and offended, and they're not doing anything about it. Listen, I've been a martial artist since I was 12 years old. That's over 30 years now. And over that time, I've developed a very high pain tolerance. Let's put it this way. I can take a licking and keep on ticking. I've built that tolerance in the face of many a punch, kick, throw, and armbar. It's taken great amounts of effort to push through the pain and do it with a good attitude. But that doesn't mean that I lost all of those fights. Now, I'm not just strong in the sense that I can take a punch, I also have a lot of self-control. If I were teaching a martial arts class and you were a student and it came time to spar, that is to fight with pads and things like that on, would you want to fight me, a fifth degree black belt, or a brand new white belt? It's easy to be tempted to say the white belt, but the reality is that the white belt has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't know what works and what doesn't. He doesn't know how hard to hit. He doesn't have very much muscle control or self-control. And I've seen far more people accidentally hurt fighting inexperienced students than fighting black belts. Why is that? Well, because the black belts know how to control their movements. They're proficient and they can pull their punches. I can throw a full force punch right at your nose that has the ability to shatter 10 two-inch concrete blocks and yet pull that punch a micrometer from your nose without ever touching you. White belts can't do that. And that image right there, a seasoned martial artist who is deadly in their ability but also able to control that strength, that is an accurate picture of meekness. 
It's been accurately observed that meekness is power under control. Picture it this way. Most men you know can lift up one end of a grand piano. They're not strong enough to lift the whole thing, but they can lift up part of it off the ground. But how many of them can set the same piano down gently? Anyone can drop something heavy, but you have to be very strong to set that very heavy item down without breaking it. I once was moving an old tube TV that weighed over 300 pounds, and I was by myself. By God's grace alone, I was able to get it off the cart onto the TV stand without breaking the cart, the TV, the stand, or myself. But, in all fairness, I did rip my pants. (laughs) Meekness requires a great level of strength and control. So please, keep those images in mind as we talk about gentleness today. Think about Superman, able to crush a tank with his arms, gently taking a frightened kitten out of a tree. That is gentle, that is kind, that is loving, that is self-controlled, that is careful, and that is gracious. And with that, let's move to number three. God gets to define gentleness, just like he gets to define everything else. The first Greek word we're going to consider is generally accepted to refer to being mild, humble, and meek. It is only used four times in the New Testament, and we encounter it first in Matthew 5.5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the gentle? Well, according to the previous and following verses in Matthew 5, the gentle are those who have recognized that they are spiritually destitute, are grieved over their state, humbly ask God for forgiveness, and then mature in their Christ-likeness. They are willing to set aside their perceived rights and arrogance, their desires and quote-unquote ability to make life work on their own, and they are willing to submit to God. That takes a lot of humility, and humility is strong. We see the word again in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Matthew 21, 5, we read, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is a quote from Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But this king was not weak. He was bringing salvation. The subsequent verses talk about how he will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is not describing a weakling. Jesus was the perfect example of humble meekness. The very God-man king himself submitted to the will of the Father, submitted to his human parents, and submitted to the wicked men who murdered him. He could have not only called twelve legions of angels to protect him, with a thought he could have vaporized any of those people from existence. But he was gentle. And in 1 Peter 3, 3-4, women are instructed, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Listen, I'm not a wife, but I respect their position so much. As a man, I know how hard it is to submit to God when I don't know what he's doing and the situation is uncomfortable. And yet my wife not only has to do the same thing, submit to God that is, she also is commanded to submit to me, a flawed, sinful, often untrustworthy mortal. That is hard. That takes strength. Just like Jesus submitted to his creation, it takes great strength to meekly submit to human authority. 
Anyone can put on dresses and braid their hair and wear gold jewelry. Little girls dress up all the time, but it takes a strong, self-controlled woman to be gentle and have a quiet spirit. My friends, gentleness is power under control. Gentleness is not doing what you could do because there's a better way, a more Christ-honoring way to do it. Do you exhibit strength under control? Or do you retaliate when attacked? Do you lash out? Do you get vengeance? Do you use your strength to manipulate and control people? If so, you're not a gentle, gracious person. So what does this power under control look like? Our next Greek word is also translated mild and gentle and was frequently used by Greek writers as characterizing a nurse with trying children or a teacher with stubborn students or of parents toward their disobedient kids. In the New Testament, it's used twice. In 1 Thessalonians 2.7, we read, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Mothers are strong. They are so much stronger than their infants, and yet good mothers are tender and careful. They bathe and change and dress and feed and rock and lay the baby gently to bed. Now, I know it sounds wicked to say it, even suggest it, but mothers do have the ability to throw their children across the room. And unfortunately, many have. Mothers have the power to silence their children forever, and many have. But those mothers are tyrants. They're monsters. They weren't meek, and they definitely weren't as strong as those able to endure the crying and questions and constant needs and the disobedience and the care. Gentleness is appropriate care. Like a mother who cares for her helpless child, Like Jesus, who cares for his undeserving followers, a gentle person is going to be gracious to others by doing what's in their best interest. He's going to compassionately and gently be kind because he humbly recognizes his position before God and the need of the person in front of him. Do you care for people? Do you seek after their best interest? Do you recognize that the rebellious child in front of you doesn't need a selfish, offended response from you? They need God's truth and God's love? Do you realize that call center employee is likely an unbeliever and no amount of threatening and yelling and impatience from you is going to glorify God in that conversation? Instead, you need to be patient and self-controlled. But remember, that doesn't mean that we let people quote-unquote walk all over us. As a martial artist, one of the most loving things I can do is stop a would-be attacker from fulfilling his plan. By disarming and restraining the attacker, I'm doing the kindest thing I can for their intended victims and for the attacker. I kept them from acting out on their sinful violence, and all the while I exerted only the necessary force on them, not to dominate them or give them a piece of their own medicine or beat them to a pulp, but because it was the kindest thing I could do for everyone involved. I put my own desires and needs aside, and I put myself into harm's way to minister to everyone in the situation, and that, my friends, is being gentle. And Jesus was the same. Jesus didn't stop being gentle when he spoke harshly to the Pharisees or drove the money changers out of the temple. No, he was still gentle. He still had his power under control. There were far worse things that he might have done or said had he not been the perfect Messiah. He did exactly what needed to be done in the right way for the right reason, and he had to exercise restraint and care to do it. Moving on. 2 Timothy 2.24 reads, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all able to teach, patient when wronged. The word translated kind is the word we're discussing today. Again, picture this power under control. When someone is trying to argue, fight, and quarrel, the Lord's bondservant is gentle, meek, and kind. 
They don't lose their temper because they're Marvin Milk Toast. They don't lose it because they're strong enough to keep it. They don't blow up because they have the Spirit's power to refrain. They are able to teach the unteachable, and they are patient when wronged. This is what it means to be gentle. Gentleness doesn't retaliate. To retaliate is to make an attack or assault in return for a similar attack or assault. Gentle people don't do that. They're strong enough through the power of the Holy Spirit to respond, but they don't retaliate. Jesus didn't strike down his crucifiers. He prayed for them, and in so doing, triumphed over Satan, death, hell, and sin. No one else has power, was powerful enough to accomplish that, and Jesus did so by gently submitting. Now let's look at our last word, which shows up in the New Testament five times. This word has been translated reasonable, forbearance, moderation, gentleness, sweet reasonableness, equitable, fitting, and non-insisting. It expresses that considerateness that looks humanely and reasonably at the facts of a case and is contrasted with contentiousness. Philippians 4.5 tells us, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. In a discussion about true biblical peace, God's people must re- rejoice in the Lord, be gentle with others, take their anxieties to God, think correctly, and obey. And I love how the first two are basically the first and second greatest commandments. Love God and love others. Care for and be gentle with others. Forbear, be moderate, be reasonable. That is why this quality is desperately important for pastors. 1 Timothy 3, 1-3 teaches, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free of the love of money. Here, gentleness is contrasted with being pugnacious, Pugnacious means eager or quick to argue, quarrel, or fight. The pastor needs to have a spirit, the spirit control to navigate difficult situations and people in a God-focused, others-loving, gracious way. Titus 3, 1-2 contrasts the word with a person who maligns others. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Instead of taking the opportunity to retaliate, to do the things you could do or say the things you could say, you possess the power to say and do the right things, which doesn't include maligning anyone, but instead includes obeying and submitting to the authorities. And we saw at the beginning, James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And 1 Peter 2.18 gives us a great understanding of what it means to be gentle by contrasting it with an unreasonable person. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. My friends, there is no escaping it. Gentleness is not weakness or frailty. Gentleness is power under control. Gentleness is appropriate care. Gentleness doesn't retaliate. And gentleness is reasonable. That's how you can be gracious to others. You must be gentle to them. Control yourself by God's power. Care for them by giving them what God says they need. Don't retaliate in kind. Be biblically reasonable. And whatever you do, please share this episode on your favorite social media outlet so that God's people can learn how to be gracious to others as he is gracious to them. If you need assistance learning to be a gentle friend, father, mother, spouse, employee, pastor, boss, teacher, or student, please contact us at counselor at celebrationofgod.com. And join us next time as we seek to better know, love, and worship God and help the people in our lives do the same. To that end, we'll be discussing why patience is a prerequisite to grace. 
If you want to know God better, celebrate Him more, and help the ones you love to do the same, subscribe to this podcast and visit celebrationofgod.com to learn more about this dynamic discipleship resource. And remember, the Celebration of God is a listener-supported ministry.